So here's the thing about Olympics, you know. It's like I decided this week that I really like the events that have more objective forms of scoring, like a goal or something, than the judging stuff, you know? You know what I mean? I mean, you look at the synchronized diving, and it's like they're in the air for 1.4 seconds or whatever, and somebody makes a decision about how well they did. I didn't even see it, you know? You know, a goal, breaking the tape, something like that, you get, but the, what? And I decided it was because I, uh, I, don't, I don't understand the perfection. I don't understand what makes a perfect dive, right? I mean, I get a volleyball spike, yeah. But what makes a perfect dive, and they're all striving for perfection. You know, uh, when I was a, a very young Christian, I was uh, disturbed by a verse that I found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm like, what? Come on. You know, as a new Christian, as a young adult in the 1970s, <laughs> yes, children, there was a 70s. <laughs> As a new Christian, I just devoured the Bible. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so when I came to Christ, I just devoured the Bible, just read it. I wanted it. I wanted to get both Old and New Testaments right, you know, the whole thing, and lots of questions, stuff were going through my mind. And uh, I really was fascinated with Jesus and really wanted to just do everything that I saw him saying to do. And so when I got to this verse, it's like, be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect, I thought, this is messed up. Because I have clearly demonstrated my utter inability to do this. And then I became a little confused because I, I'm like, yeah, but I thought that's why we needed Jesus in the first place is because we couldn't do this. I thought that at the core of the gospel was this amazing message that God loved me so much in my imperfection, that he made a way for his son Jesus to die on a cross for me, and that by coming into relationship with this God through his son Jesus Christ, all of my imperfections could be wiped out. That was the gospel that I responded to. Anybody else? So I got to this part, and I go, what? Be perfect. I'm sure I can't do this. And so it took some time. Uh, You know, probably some of you like me went through the legalism phase. You know, where, okay, i got to be perfect, you know. I'm going to orient my life in such a bizarre, regimented way that no one will like me. I will have no positive impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ on anyone. But I'll be doing it, right? That didn't seem right. And it didn't work because I kept messing it up. I'd have to start again every day. So I got, what's going on, Lord, with this? You said, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, you know, over time, I I grew in the sense of, of understanding how to read the Bible and understand the Bible. And I grew in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's cool. And that makes the Bible look altogether different, yeah? 
I mean, reading this thing without the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But the dynamic of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and then we go to the Bible, and it's like, whoa, because you hear the voice, right? You hear the voice in which it was originally spoken. Those are not just words on a page which can go one way or the other, but you hear the heart. You hear the voice of God speaking His Word to you as you read it. And the Holy Spirit just brings light on it in that way. And so I was released from the, the burden of this verse when I, I, took, I, I took notice of that third word. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Because we've learned here that when we're reading our Bible and we want to understand it, that when we come to the word therefore, we stop to see what it's therefore. Correct. That context means everything. And that if we want to understand the true meaning of the Bible, we have to understand the context in which it is set. And a word like therefore is a word that says, pay attention to what I just said. So be perfect Therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So we need to pay attention to what he just said. So let's do that. Ready? Say yes, I'll start again. Matthew chapter 5, start in verse 43. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn open. If not, just listen along. Matthew 5, Matthew's in the New Testament, which is the second big part of the Bible. Matthew is one of four books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. And that word means good news. And so there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. So those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, strongly resemble each other, but they have their own little sort of features. So this passage that I'm going to read from you right now to set the context is out of a, a piece of the New Testament called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a part of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. And they're all the recorded words of Jesus when he gave this sermon. And to do so, he took himself up a little bit on the mountainside so that plenty of people could hear, and they call it the Sermon on the... Ta-da, he was not riding a horse. Okay? Uh, Sermon on the Mount. So in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does... Jesus totally messes with your head. And one of the things is six times he says... I know you have heard this, but I say. And this is one of those times, okay? So, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And your heart just screams, that's not fair. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. The therefore says, with respect to this thing, be perfect. This is so important, he's saying, about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Getting to this place, he says, I'm calling you to perfection. Therefore, with respect to this. Well, let's back up and let's manage these verses a little bit at a time. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate, 
and hate your enemy. Well, first of all, the scripture does, nowhere in the scripture does it specifically command us to hate our enemy. It does say love your neighbor. So he's not saying you've read in the, in the Torah, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, uh, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. He's saying that's how you are. You've, you've heard that it was said, love, love your neighbor, which the Bible does say in several places in the Old Testament, but also hate your enemy. And so he's making this observation. He says, that's how people are. They, they love their neighbor. They love the people who love them. And they necessarily defend themselves against their enemy by hating them. Setting up this, this, this deal in their mind where you're out there, you're my enemy, you mean me harm, and so I'm going to defend myself by not loving you. He says, that's how y'all are. Okay. And uh, in, in, uh, in New Testament times, it was common for, for an Israelite to, to try to hate the enemies of God and think that they were being pious in the process. So they were sort of like super Jews if they could line up against the enemies of God. So they perceived that, you know, this group of people hates God, so I'm going to hate them. They're my enemies. Um, it's not prescribed in the Old Testament, but there are examples of it. Would you like to see? Say yes. Psalm 139 in your Bible. Psalm 139. King David, he's kind of a mix of a model, good, bad, Good days, bad days. Thankful for King David, right? He had some seriously bad days. And uh, in Psalm 139, it's part of this expression to God. In verse 19, he starts rolling off this sentiment that I was just talking about. And he says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, just kill them. You know, it's that bumper sticker. So I say we nuke them all and let God sort it out, right? It's like, come on. He said, if you just kill them, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. He said, they speak with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. So he's already sort of categorizing some group of people that's in his mind that don't speak well of God, and he's saying, I'm sure you hate them, so I'm going to hate them for you, he says. He says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now that sounds like a good thing to do. You know, God who is righteous and holy and you have some people who are into him and some people who aren't. And so David's saying, I'm going to hate those that surely you must hate. And then he finishes this psalm with two really dangerous verses, <laughs> upon which his whole life ends up just changing. And he says, oh, and search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my dangerous prayers. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Catch this. And see if there's any offensive way in me. I mean, can't you hear the father going, well, what did you just say? Let's just start with that. <laughs> and he said, if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so I think what the father has to be thinking, very presumptuous on my part to think that I would even know that, but has to be thinking is, you know, when my son Jesus comes, he's going to sort this whole enemy's thing out, right? Because Jesus came and said, I know what you've heard. I know how it is. Love your neighbors, hate your enemies, but. Then he flips the thing on on its head in the next verse. He said, but, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Enemies. I think we have to stop and consider even who he was talking about. Because when we try to sort that out, we talked about this in home group on Thursday night a little bit. You know, our enemies in our society 
would be pretty small compared to the enemies Jesus would have been talking about here. Jesus would have been talking about somebody who wanted to kill them. You know, the hostility of the Palestinian environment. Somebody who wanted to kill them. Those kind of enemies. Not just somebody who wants to, like, mess you up. Cut you off on 270. My enemy, why? (laughs) It's the somebody who wants to kill you. Would have been the context. And it's very scary. But uh, he's saying he wants us to love them. That if there was somebody on the earth whose agenda was to kill you, was to take you out, he says, that's the person you're supposed to love and pray for. It's like, come on. What? That's so against my nature, isn't it? My human nature? Hmm. What? Love them? Pray for them? And uh, in the footnote in my Bible, it says some late manuscripts say, pray, love, uh, pray for your enemies, uh, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. Now I know that there are a group of people on the earth who do hate me. You can't be a pastor this long and not have people hate you. So that's the reality that I can dial into. I don't think I have anybody who wants to take me out. Raise your hand if you're here. (laughs) But there is an application of this for all of us. There are people in our world who, for right or wrong reasons, have only contempt toward us. So there's somebody out there that we can apply this to. And Jesus said, here's your deal. I know you've heard. Love all these lovely people in here. And just hate the bejeebers out of those who aren't. But he said, but I tell you what. He said, you need to love them all. You need to pray for those who persecute. He says, after all, his next verse, he says, after all, you're all the same to God. This is the hard part for so many Christians to get their heads around. He said, uh, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the, unri- on the righteous and the unrighteous. It was commonly thought in that day that a righteous man could bring rain. You know, even in James, he says, he references Elijah as a righteous man who could bring rain. But it wasn't because of the grace of God, but it's thought because of that man's own inherent righteousness, that because he's a righteousness, righteous man, he should be able to bring rain. And Jesus is saying, I know that's how you think. But the, in reality... When the rain falls, it falls on everybody. The righteous and the unrighteous. He's telling us something about the Father and the Father's view toward people. And it's scandalous, and it's going to hurt some of your feelings. But the truth of the Bible is that God loves everyone the same. Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, what, Tom, you're messing with me? Don't, don't. Buckeyes, he loves you all the same. Now, hang with me. Don't write me off too soon here. He loves us all the same is what Jesus is saying here. The rain falls, the unrighteous, the unrighteous receive it. The evil and the good receive are in the are in the path of the same love of God. 
equally accessible to every person on the planet is the love of God. So he loves us all the same. And so there's something about this we've got to get a hold of because that, if that's how the Father looks at every person on the earth, if I'm going to be able to be perfect as he's called me to and love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me, I am somehow going to have to be able to see them as he sees them. Instead of how I see them, which is threat. I'm somehow going to have to be able to see them as God sees them. Somehow separated from their behavior as an essential person on the planet loved by God. Jesus said if we do this, if we can get to this place, it will be because we are sons of your Father in heaven. By that it means, I think it means this, that let's say just Harry has just gone off the rails and he's just messing with me and I just don't want to love him anymore. It would never happen, but you're sitting there, so there you go. And uh, in order for me to pray for him and love him, I would have to see him as the Father sees him. And in doing so, I would be demonstrating that I am a son of the Father. Because the only way to get to that place is not by trying to love this guy who's making me mad, but by connecting with the Father in my love relationship with him as a natural result. Because as we connect with the Father in intimacy with the Father, in love with, love with the Father, experience his dynamic, unconditional, inexhaustible love for us, that's when we, we live it out naturally as sons of God, right? The trying has over. We just do what the Father does. Of five grown kids. Number 12 grandkid on the way. It's... It's beautiful. Living the dream, truly. And uh, I've heard, especially from my oldest son, but also little snippets from my other sons, is that they say, you know, Dad, there were certain things that you did to us. (laughs) When we were growing up, that I said to myself, boy, if I ever have kids, I'll never. And he says, you know what? I do them. I do those same obnoxious things that you did. And they can't help themselves. Why? Because they're my sons. I'm their dad. We have a love relationship. And out of that love relationship, they can't help but act like me. Now, they're better versions of me, which is the way it's supposed to work. You know, they're like Tom 2.0, which is good. But they're still very similar in the ways that they are with their kids. This is what, how it's meant to be, as we have this love relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Then as we live naturally as the sons of the Father, the Father loves everybody the same, and so I'm going to love everybody the same. But it depends not on my going, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to buckle down and love Him. But it's, okay, Father, you love Him. In spite of His off-the-rails behavior, I'm going to love Him too. What does that mean? A couple of questions come to mind. Does that mean that everybody goes to heaven? Well, if God loves everybody the same, does that mean that everybody goes to heaven? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Funny thing about a gift, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. Suppose a man has ten children, and they grow up, and three of them go off their way and say, I never want to have anything to do with you again. Does he love them? Of course he loves them. He may enjoy the seven who hang out, stick around, and come over. He may have opportunity to enjoy them more than the other three, but he loves them the same. His heart breaks for the three who went away like that. He loves them the same. Now suppose this father said, and I'm over my lifetime, I'm amassing this great wealth, and I want to give it to my children as a gift. Who gets the gift? The seven who stayed home to receive it. The three may not even know there is a gift. The three may not even know that such a thing is open to them, available to them, because as an act of their own will, they have decided not to be in the company of the Father. God loves us all the same. Does everybody go to heaven? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, maybe you've heard this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, receives the gift, will have everlasting life. So his love for them is the same. And you might not even like that about God. You might say, that's not fair. Your arms are too short to box with God. (laughs) He loves everyone the same. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for everyone. Who will receive the gift? Well, that's up to them. That's up to you. So that's the one question, if he loves everyone. The other question that comes up is, well, if he loves everyone the same, does that mean anything goes, that we condone all behaviors? It's like, whatever you want to do, he loves you. Part of receiving the gift is coming to the place of understanding that in a righteous and holy God, we have offended. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his perfect son, has completely paid for our offense. So that not only is the penalty of our sin covered when we come to Christ and receive the gift, but catch this, the power of the Holy Spirit comes so that part of the redemptive work of Christ is so that we can be removed from the behavior, so that we can change and be sanctified over time and become more and more like Jesus. So we, don't, we can't condone all be. I don't condone some of my behaviors. I mean, my, fortunately for you, my big stuff's out of the way. Stuff I used to be involved with, out of the way. You don't have to worry about me bringing shame to the church because I'm caught doing something or another. Those things are out of the way. But what I have discovered, tell me if this is true of you, Mike, 
that even though those big things are out of the way, it's like you peel off that layer and you see all the little ugly things that were motivating that. And they're almost harder than the big things. And I don't condone those behaviors in my life. I continue to lift them up to Jesus and I say, Lord, would you change that about me? Would you change that? Just keep peeling them off. So can we condone every behavior? Of course not. And I, and I need to tell you this, that as part of our love for the church, there are certain kinds of behaviors that we consider to be potentially a threat to the life or the health or the safety of the church that we have to take a hard line on. And we do that because that's what a loving shepherd does, right? He says, no, we can't. Let that influence come and impact the church in that way. Is the person welcome? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are behaviors, risky behaviors condoned? Absolutely not. You feel that? So sometimes the love has to make a hard decision. Okay. So be perfect. You all got that? Got that, Steve? Perfect. No big deal. I want you to, from now on, perfectly love your enemies. Start with the person who flips you off on 270. Why not? Let's start somewhere, right? Start. How do I do this? Here's the key. Boink. Number one, we need to learn to see others as God sees them. We need to get God's view of them. Our whole evangelism changes. Our whole presentation of the gospel to others changes when we see people as God sees them. As someone he loves, regardless of whether they believe in him, whether, whatever their behaviors are, he loves them. And he loves them the same as he loves you. It's true. So we start there. But you say, ask me, how do we get there, Tom? By learning to see yourself as God sees you. This is the biggie. By getting to the place of intimacy with the Father, being a person of his word, a person of prayer in such a way that you just have those experiences with God where you see, you know, he shows you how precious you are to him in spite of yourself. Some of my worst failure days have been some of my best days with Jesus. Hello? You know those worst failure days when the devil's going, what business do you have even calling yourself a Christian? Maybe I'm the only one who experiences this. And so they've drawn me into some of the most intimate fellowships of grace and redemption and repentance. Mercy. And when I get there, well then I can start to see even Harry <laughs> the way God sees you. And so I love you. And you love me back. Somebody asked me this morning. Okay, it was Tom. We were out running this morning, about 6.30. Thunk, thunk, thunk. He was trying to keep up. Come on, Anderson, let's go. <laughs> he said, you just brought the sabbatical. He goes, you know, so now you're a year off your sabbatical. He said, what, what remains, kind of was the question. What are the big things? 
as I was gasping for breath. I hate it when he asks me open-ended questions when we run. I always ask him the open. I always ask, I hope he asks me yes or no questions. Yes. <laughs> I said, of the things, there are a few. It's that God has given me such an amazing love for you. I mean, at, a, at an affection, emotional level, my heart yearns for you, to be with you, and to love you. And uh, after he went off and played soccer somewhere, the heathen, I don't know. I was in church. Um, I got reflecting on that, and it, it's the reason that I can love you so much more now is because during the sabbatical, I kept getting in that zone with Jesus where he kept telling me how much he loved me. Hello? Now, I don't mean for my experience to be the model or even normative. I'm just saying, you have that. Spend time with Jesus, being embraced in his infinite love for you. Okay, so we have communion set up, you see. Slick segue, huh? We do this, if you're newer, we do this once a month. The first Sunday of every month, we like to set up the communion tables and give ourselves the opportunity to be with Jesus in this particular way, this bread and this cup. And, you know, if you're wondering, do I have to be a member here to do communion? No. No rules. Just shirts and shoes, that's all, okay? Um, If your heart is open, if you're a person who says, you know, my heart is open for Jesus, I want, I want to experience this, then you're welcome at the table. Well, let, me, let me characterize it for you. One of, the, one of the huge parts of being a person who can embrace this thing that I've been preaching about, being able to love your neighbors, pray for those who persecute you, is to be a person who has fully experienced the welcome of the Father to you. That he loves you and you have responded to his gift by expressing your desire to be received and you've had an experience of the welcome of the Father. And whenever I see this table, I mean, they're such simple tables, but I see this kind of grand banquet table and it's the Father's table in heaven. And he's saying, come on. Come on. And he's just welcoming us to his table, the table of his son, Jesus Christ, in his broken body and his shed blood. And he's saying, come on. And I've been praying that you really receive the Father's welcome today. And if that's an experience you've never had, where you've just been overcome with the welcome, the gracious welcome of the Father, that's a, that's, that's a prayer that I'm praying for you today. And I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me something about it this morning I think you'll find beneficial. And that's it. I was praying about this earlier this morning. Uh, the Lord reminded me that, uh, well, he brought this question to mind. And that's, you know, in the, in the Scripture where there's the Last Supper, who did Jesus invite to that table? His disciples, right? His friends. These 12 guys, this ragtag group of inconsistent followers. Yes? They had good days and bad days. We can list their sins even, some of them. 
And they, those were the ones that he said, these are the guys I want at my last Passover on earth. These are the guys I want to institute the Father's table for the whole church for ages to come. These are the exact people that I want at my table. Now, just in case you're going, yeah, that sounds kind of familiar to you. That sounds like what you say all the time, Tom. Here's what occurred to me this morning. Jesus invited those particular people to the table, not only completely aware of the sins that they had committed, but also completely aware of the sins that they would commit. I mean, Judas was at the table, and he said, here's what this guy's going to do. But he was welcome at the table. He'd already announced that Peter was going to deny him three times. I mean, what a chump! Deny him three times! But he said, I know what he's going to do. I know what you're all going to do. And you're welcome at my table. Brian, God knows what you've done. And he knows what you're going to do. And he says, this table's set for you, man. 